This is Behind the DM Screen. It is June of 2020. We are three DMs helping each other out. I am Jeff Greiner. We have all, with us, as usual, uh, Sam Dillon. DM Samuel, have to say hello. Hello. Uh, and we do not have our usual Mike Shea. Uh, he is... Uh, running a Kickstarter this month and using all of his mental bandwidth on on that and the fact that I think the world is on fire um, and, and just trying to to survive. So we let him take a break and we upgraded the show this month. So we have Eugenio Vargas, uh, DM Jazzy Hands with us. Welcome, sir. Hey, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I think it's worth um, acknowledging that um, it is June 2020 and uh, I don't know when people will be watching this uh, on on when it's on YouTube or when they'll be hearing the audio or whatever. Uh, but the world is pretty much on fire at this point, um, you know, between the pandemic uh, and um, mass protests uh, and what have you from the, the killing of George Lloyd in Minneapolis, uh, which was, was it just a week ago? It feels like months, but... Time is a flat circle. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, f- fairly recently. And so there's a lot going on. Uh, and I think it's worth acknowledging that. And I think it's worth saying, like, yes, we are doing sort of a silly gaming podcast thing. Right. And, and we recognize that that's what it is. Uh, but we're, ho- we're, we're not trying to minimize the seriousness of the issues in the world right now. We are trying to bring some form of reprieve to to anybody who might need that uh including ourselves right and, and to to keep our mental health strong while we're we're living in the world that we're living in is that fair to say gentlemen yeah yeah absolutely i we've thought a lot about this with my show you know we we decided to not release an episode this week but i did earlier today record two episodes so, you know, people can choose how much bandwidth they have to affect change and be out there and, and protest and make donations and, and speak up, and then how much of their brain space they need to use for stuff like this. And I, I can't fault anybody for needing to take a break. And I, I know that it feels super dire because it is, um, but it's going to be a long game. And, you know, as long as by taking part in something like this, we are not uh, taking away from what we can do to help. I, I, I really can't stress enough, you know, how valuable taking some time for yourself will be right now. Yeah. I, I, I really feel like um, in terms of stress relief and, and trying to get your mind off of the, the horrible things that, that have happened and the wonderful things that are happening. Um, I think, uh, unfortunately it's a mix of both and, you know, the push for permanent change is a very strong one right now. And I, I think we all, everyone on this, on this recording right now support that. I certainly support it. I think that, uh, it's very important. All the work that's being done, all the people who are putting their own lives and livelihoods in danger. I have much respect for that. Um, and I, I really feel like though, you know, there's also moments when you have to sort of separate from that and say, okay, I need some downtime. I need some breathing room. I need some stress relief. Otherwise you're going to ruin your health. You're going to ruin 
your men- your mental health, your physical health, like all of those things, it's it's a complicated thing, right? Because life is complicated and I think it's important enough that we we can move on and and not um not feel bad about doing a sort of, you know, you know, a, a podcast about stupid games, right? Like I, I don't feel bad about it. Right. And I don't think I, I understand if someone uh, doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, thinks there should be more that we're doing right now or something different that we're doing. I fully understand that. Um, but I feel like, you know, providing some sort of stress relief is also a good, it's a good thing to do. So that's kind of, you know, it's rough. I think yeah. as long as everybody's doing what they can do in order to support, the That's cause right. and and you know and I I think we all are we we talked about it sort of before the stream so you know yeah that's right that's right so so with that sort of said uh, and explained I guess just uh, so people sort of know where our heads are on this issue at the time um, let's get into it uh, like I said we 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 each talk about our games we help each other out with things uh, and and. Uh, we re- always rotate the order, and uh, it's my turn. I get to go first. So, <laughs> haha. Uh, and that's uh, that's fine. I have a and, and I always set a fifteen minute clock, uh, and cute. Uh, we always ignore it and then just keep going anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I admire that tenacity to tradition, right. though, like the, holding fast. Well, at least it helps, you know, because we have fifteen minutes on the clock with times three people. If we all go over that 45 minutes, quickly turns into the hour-ish, you know, and then we're good to right. go. And if it doesn't... Well, and I appreciate that everyone but Mike starts feeling guilty after yeah, 15 right. minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and ultimately, if we do finish up uh, early, um, we then we always have an opportunity to answer questions. Sometimes we'll get emails or, or tweets from people or whatever, and we'll, we'll talk about other people's uh, games and, and what have you. So, um, yes, 15 minutes. Uh, and my, I'm already 50 seconds into my 15 minutes, and I have a lot to talk about. Uh, it, since I've moved and started with my new game group here in Indiana, um, we meet weekly now as opposed to my last group that met every other week. Uh, and sometimes not even that because life. Um, but now we meet weekly, and everybody's really into it. And it's every Friday night, uh, and... Um, People sort of see it as a great sort of gateway into their week and whatever. But that means that when we last chatted, um, what was it, last month, obviously, um, I had talked about the the very introduction into Curse of Strahd in my campaign. And how that introduction was a little bit, it didn't have the sort of BAM impact that I wanted it to have. And so I was a little worried about the buy-in into Curse of Strahd. Turns out that has not been a problem at all. Like they are bought in, they are creeped out at all the things they're supposed to be creeped out at. Like like they are like it is it is going gangbusters. Um, and so so yeah, and so we've done a lot though. Like they they got to the they did the whole village of Barovia thing. They met uh, Mad Mary and was like, hey, my daughter's missing. Who I was kind of hiding up in the attic for sixteen years or whatever. Uh, and so I laid that foundation and and I. Since we're on roll 20, I open every session. There's like a landing page that I've created and I track what their current goals are. So every before every session, they can be like, oh, yeah, this person asked us to do that. And that we're kind of doing that for this these people and whatever. And so that sort of Mad Mary is looking for her daughter uh, Gertrude or Gertruda, whatever her name is. 
will be there for a long time. Those people who know Curse of Strahd know that it's probably going to be a long time before they find her, right? She is not in an easy-to-get-to spot. Um, and they met... Um, um, I forget her name, but the hag that's selling the dream pastries. Morgantha. Yeah, Morgantha. Uh, and and um, the the paladin of the group has gotten into the habit of using divine sense, like, regularly. Right? And so they're like, he's like, Morgantha, what's going on? She's obviously some sort of creepy undead working for Strahd, right? That's got to be what's going on. <laughs> and then he turns on divine sense, like, uh... Fiend? What? Like that? that uh, uh, so they just sort of, they talked to her and, and whatever, and then went on their way. <laughs> and, you know, because they didn't know that she was doing it. One of them actually bought a dream pastry and then, and like, gave it to somebody else. Didn't use it, right? <laughs> gave it to, to Ismark, actually. Um, so, and then they ditched town and left Ismark with his new addiction. Um <laughs> And I've got a, I've got, a, I brought with them in the mist. So I, I've, I've had a regular because we started with um, Dragon Heist, right? And so I had Gaxley, uh, what's his name, the the newspaper guy from the Waterdeep Wazoo. Um, I've had him writing a Wazoo like one page newsletter every week, right? And they love it. And it's sort of like what's going on in the world, and they can kind of see some of the the consequences of their actions, but they can also see that the world is turning without them. Well, he and, in fact, the entirety of Trollskull Manor and all of their employees got sucked into the mist and are in Barovia as well. And so now he's, like, wandering Barovia trying to figure out what's going on. And he was, like, it was weird. Like, after they left the village of Barovia, he was, like, "Uh, it's weird. I saw this old lady wandering the streets trying to sell these, these pastries. And she had this bag with her that kept wriggling and moving. And I don't know what was going on. Like... <laughs> but it was too late, right? They'd already moved on, so um, we'll get to <laughs> we'll get to see the consequences of that, I guess, later. Um, and so, and so that, and that's just my introduction, right? They they went to the the crossroads, uh, and and they were pr- appropriately creeped out by the crossroads with the gallows, and one uh, one of them sees sees herself hanging in the gallows. Actually, I had two of the characters see themselves hanging in the gallows, and I specifically tied it to the the fortune telling card reading um so the idea was um every like every character had some connection to one of the things that was being read right like um the paladin was connected to is connected to the sun sword because the sun sword is actually his mother's ancient blade. He's an Asimar. His mother was a celestial. She got trapped in Barovia, but her sword is still there. And and she was a she was a celestial in service to Lathander. It turns out, right? So that all ties together, and that makes sense. So it's all stuff like that that I tied. Each one is connected to somebody. Even the the ally that's going to help him take down Strahd. One of my characters is a dusk elf. Uh, a dusk elf woman from Barovia who escaped as a child and thus wasn't killed when all the women of the dusk elves were were slaughtered and has now returned uh, and and um, the person who helped her escape was um, Esmeralda, who is the ally, right? Uh, and so I've made all these sort of connections uh, and what have you, and I, I'm really looking forward to that. But then I I got to the end and it's like, well, but nobody's really connected to the story of Strahd and and the location of where they're going to find him isn't really connected to anybody. Um, but I can I can sort of 
weave a little prophetic poetry around it and, and connect it to either one of these two characters. And so when they got to the crossroads, both of them saw themselves hanging. Uh, and the card was related to, to some of that. I don't remember exactly what card it was. I don't know if it was maybe the death card or whatever, right? And so the, now that hanging on the gallows made more sense and all that. Uh, and so th- anyway, they were properly creeped out by the gallows. They were properly creeped out uh, or, or enjoyed the, the sort of card reading. And I actually had the Tome of Strahd. Uh, I chose to just put it in uh, the Vistani camp, right? So I could get that started right away. Uh, and I'm using the, the interactive Tome of Strahd product that I, that I uh, reviewed in a recent episode actually from uh, DMs Guild. And so the idea of that is because I wanted them to be able to have – some of the backstory for what's going on as they were, you know, going out and seeing things. So the way the interactive tome works is you open it up and you decipher a chapter and then mist pour out of it and suck you in. And then you have like a flashback scene where you're back interacting with, you know, in this case, in the epilogue or in the prologue, it's, it's little like a 12 year old Strahd angry that his dad doesn't care much about him. And Rahadin is his, is his sword, trainer and and it's whatever it builds a little sympathy for Strahd right and then um recently actually the last session they they unlocked the or the character who has it unlocked the first chapter and it sucks you in and it's one of the first big battles as they try to uh as they try to conquer as Strahd tries to conquer um um Barovia right And, and it's this battle against um the knights of of the silver dragon at Argon Volstholt Right, and so they get to participate in the battle, and some of them get to hang back and help uh, protect Strahd. And then Strahd is mortally wounded, and the Vistani come in and and protect him and shield him, and that sort of explains their relationship. And uh, then they get to see the giant silver dragon swoop up out of the the keep at the very end, and the the scene ends right, and they're just, they're brought back to their own world and what have you. Uh, and so uh, that's going really well as well. They're they're really struggling with the wait. Are we actually back in time? Like if we killed Strahd as a kid, like would it matter? Uh, and like when we are injured, like it still hurts us when we come back, and we can like bring things with us. Uh, so what's go- like they don't they have no idea what's going on. And honestly, the book is the the product is set up that like they're not supposed like it it could maybe they are back in time. Maybe they're not. However you want to do it, right? <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, uh, so that's going really well. Um, after the card reading, they went back to the crossroads and um, they 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 had a hunch that maybe the the holy symbol was there and it was. And they started digging around and they dug it dug around um, and and found the holy symbol in a grave that had a name on it that one of the characters recognized, but none of the rest of the characters knew who it was, right? And so I made that one of my opening questions. I do an opening question every session uh, just to get them a little uh, in the headspace and role-playing a little bit and thinking about their backgrounds a little bit. So that was fun. But at the same time, when they got to the crossroads, they showed up. And Van Richten was there standing on the gallows fighting, fighting off a bunch of vampire spawn, right? And so they're introduced to Van Richten. Except it turns out it's not actually Van Richten. It's Strahd in the form of Van Richten. So of course he beats the vampire Strahd's by uh, spawn by himself, and they they go, go all go running away. And then he's like, "Well, I've got this wagon, and you're going the same direction I am. Why don't you hop on, and I'll give you a ride, and we can talk, and we can ask each other." And so now Strahd knows a bunch about him, right? And one of the characters, <laughs> one of the characters has a, a has a journal 
that was like um, Van Richten's great grandmother who was back in Barovia generations ago, like that they found out in the Forgotten Realms. They found this journal, uh, and and fake Van Richten uh, was like, oh, I would love to see my grandmother's journal. Which, how about this? You let me borrow that journal. I'll let you borrow my journal with all my notes on Strahd. Uh, and then next time we see each other, we'll exchange back, right? It's, right. Except and so they, they exchange, and now Strahd's got the got the journal, right? He's got all the information. And they don't have it. Uh, plus, now he has a personal item he can use for scrying against them, right? <laughs> so, um, so that went really well. Then they got to Velaki. They they met Rictavio, and after a few sessions, eventually figured out that Rictavio was Van Richten. And then they're like, oh, crap. Like, they figured out that, that – I don't know that they know that it was Strahd himself, but they at least know that it was a minion of Strahd, somebody posing as Van Richten. Because Van Richten's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't there. I've been in town the whole time, right? I don't know who, I don't know who you are. Uh, none of this makes sense to me. They found the tiger, the, the saber-toothed tiger in the in the wagon. They they did the – they found the – they were given the quest for the bones of San Andrel, and they've actually completed it. They're higher level than Curse of Strahd actually recommend so that the encounter with the vampire spawn wasn't as deadly as it could have been i actually wanted to realize i missed some opportunities to introduce strahd in a way that they would have recognized um earlier Uh, and so i wanted to get that in and so the first night they were in the blue water inn uh which is the inn that they stay at in velaki um they're awakened in the middle of the night by by ravens going crazy like caw 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 whatever right they don't know what's going on but they're all woken up and then they hear a voice tatiana come to me right uh and and arena who had been charmed the day before when they were on the wagon with van richten uh you know okay sure it start, just starts wandering out towards him right and they're running out trying to stop her and they're fighting off all all the zombies that he brought with him and and they're like okay we've 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 whittled the zombies down and we're gonna start beating up on Strahd. and then uh it, it, but they also managed to like pin down arena and so Strahd just sort of takes off and turns into bats and, and flies away and they're like aha we chased off Strahd. and i'm like yeah that's what happened right you you totally beat Strahd. <laughs> you scared him away <laughs> right Um, and so that went really well Um, they went out to the Dusk Elf Vistani encampment which the one character has some connections to because he is a Dusk Elf right Um, and and one of the characters who has been hearing whispers from one of the dark powers from before they even got to Barovia actually two of the characters have been hearing whispers from Barovia before they got here Uh, but one of them hears mention in the Vistani camp of the Amber Temple because one of the Vistani leaders wants to go to the Amber Temple and she's heard of the Amber Temple she's asked other people about it but nobody knows it, what the, what she's talking about right now she's like wait this guy knows about the Amber Temple yeah whatever he wants we're doing that right yeah <laughs> so she's on board even though they're all convinced the Vistani are horrible and evil because they've been told by multiple people that they work for, for Strahd but he's, she's still on board uh, and then they've also got the search for, for was it Annabelle or Arabelle or whatever, the, the Vistani's daughter who's gone missing, um, that we'll, they'll find out where she is, uh, in theory, uh, later on. Uh, they did, when they went into, because one, one of the questions I have uh, deals with, um, I, w- I want to talk, I haven't gotten much into Velakian politics at all, and there's a little bit of that going on, right? The the burgomaster is doing his weekly or whatever festivals. Uh, uh, Fiona Vacher 
wants to overthrow him and, and take over and be running things. I've hinted at all of that, but they haven't actually met any of those people or even their agents at this point. Uh, they, they've been to um, Blinsky's uh, and the toy maker uh, and, uh, and seen um, all of that, uh, the toys and the weird arena toy uh, that's there. And so they've already got it out for Ezek, who, who Blinsky tells him was the person who wants the arena toys. Um, but I'm not sure if I want to actually how I want to play that out, if Ezek is going to be a little more sympathetic or not. Um, so I really want to want to talk a little bit about. Um, oh, my volume is down, but my timer went off. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I want to talk a little bit about how to infuse that, how to maybe run the the festival of Blazing Suns, which is coming up soon. Um, and I had another question if there's time, but I guess if I if we don't deal with it until next month, I guess we can hick it away. But uh, since we're already over time, so uh, uh, Sam, I don't think you've run Curse of Strahd because I'm fairly familiar with what you've been running because we talk about it every month. The last time I ran, I ran I six the actual Ravenloft module uh, like decades ago. So yeah, it's been it's been. A while. Oh yeah, I used to run that every every year at Halloween. Yeah. It was a it was a yearly tradition. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, I have not. I have not read the uh, run the fifth edition Curses Trot. I have read uh, it, but I have right, never right. ran it. Oh, Henio, have you have you run it? <laughs> I have. Based on your uh, reactions, so I'm running it. I'm I'm running it right now, and up until uh, so my group also uh, had. It, we're also using the interactive tome of Strahd. Uh, we also had the tome at Sarah Pool at the the nice. Vistani encampment outside of Barovia. Uh, so many of the things that you were talking, I was just laughing because it, it could be the same game. You're a little <laughs> further along than we are, uh, but yeah. So I've run it once before, played in it once, and now I'm running it a second okay. time. So, so you have some insight. How did how did Velaki run <laughs> for you, or, or either as a player or a DM? Uh, how did the whole political situation play out for you uh talk to me about that i think velaki is really hard because i think velaki can be this sort of huge setting place where there is all of these politics and there's so many threads that can go around here uh, or around there in in velaki so i um if you're gonna sort of do the whole thing, you know, and and include all of the stuff about the the festival, which I, I think you should because I think it's fun and, and super interesting. And the players um, have said but, they want to stick around for the festival, so uh, of course they have. I, I, I at first um, I was like, I don't know if I'll deal, actually run the festival or not, and then they're like, Oh no, well, you definitely. Want, I think we should stick around to the festival. I'm like, All right, now I got to figure out how to run the festival. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think as you're sort of planning to do all of that, you just sort of have to, to keep an eye on, like, all of the different threads that are happening at once. I do have a question for you, which, and it's been a while because my group just got to Velaki, but as I recall, sort of one of the instigating incidents of the festival can be the Rictavio's tiger getting loose, right? Mm -hmm. So if they've already found the like... Is that going to be a problem for you? Are you are, like, are we going to be able to look at it uh, the way that the book lays it out, or? Oh, I think it'll be okay. So, so they, okay. they, they're aware of the tiger because they, one of them, the the rogue of the group, actually cast invisibility on herself and followed uh, Rictavio when he was out feeding his horse and feeding the tiger, right? And so he he saw. Uh, Rictavio feed the tiger, then snuck up to see what was going on. Saw you know a flash of of 
orange fur in the moonlight and, and a little Vistani dressed doll. And so they, and they asked him about it. It's like, oh, yeah, I've totally been training that tiger to kill uh, Vistani because they work for Strahd and screw them, right? Uh, so uh, let me can i interrupt for a second and tell you that dan Dan dellen is in the chat and he says that he thinks the festival is a great chance to show just how messed up things are in velaki right now that's sort of exactly what i was going to say but go ahead jeff before i well no no and and that's that's that was sort of my thinking um i'm just fishing for inspiration on on how i'm going to how messed up it's going to be and how to and how to run that that way so. right i mean i i i've i'm um, delinquent in my prepping because i haven't looked at the festival again since the last time i ran it so i'm running sort of off of a, a longer memory but you know if i remember correctly like the kids of Velaki play a big part in like the the procession part of the of the parade when they're bringing the big this is the festival of the sun right so they're like bringing the big wicker sun into the town right. square um, so like really like, <laughs> I think it's all about the juxtaposition here, right? Cause we very rarely, unless we're in a Vistani camp, we very rarely in Barovia get to see like joyful things or bright things or happy things. And that's exactly what the Baron is trying to do here in Velaki. And so I think just really playing up that, like, you know, all of these flowers and this big bright sun and all of these very gray, very dour children bringing it in. Right. right. Um, the other thing is, and this is definitely a taste thing and like, this is group to group. But one thing that I do remember the last time I ran the festival with a group was that I sort of, uh, I sort of encouraged them and this was sort of a meta thing, but I, it proved useful if it's your style. I sort of, I I gave them a heads up that like, there was going to be an event, right? And you're going to want, like, there's a good chance that you're going to want to interact with a lot of the things that I'm describing because they're going to be weird and messed up and they're going to have give you, you know, make you have questions about what's happening. Let me get through some of it, right? Let me really actually set a scene before you jump at the very first, right, like, <laughs> right. thing that you see that you want to attack or that you want to grab or that you want to talk to, right? Um, because there are so many things going on uh, that just, like, giving them a heads up that, like, this is a whole set piece thing was super helpful for me. Um, what else can we talk about with this? I think I, I think one of the other things I, I, I'm thinking that this is a good opportunity to also bring in the politics a little bit. Um, so they mm-hmm. they've run into I guess I said they haven't run into any agents of of Fiona Vacher or or uh, the Burgomaster, but that's not true. They did run into uh, Ernst, uh, which is Fiona Vacher's sort of agent, her her spy who follows them around and whatever, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so they ran into him, and, and when the rogue character saw him following them around and noticed that she, he'd been around at several locations, her response was like, oh, I'm just going to walk up and ask him, hey, who are you and what are you doing? You know? And so it was a real like weird <laughs> – like she's super cheerful, and he's like – what are you doing in town? I'm just I'm just keeping an eye on on people in town and whatever, right? He's like, oh, well, we killed some vampires last night. Like she just laid it all out <laughs> and was not subtle at all. Sure. <laughs> uh, and so so that's going on a little bit. I'm wondering. I, I'm thinking that I might do both things at the same time, right? Bring in a little mm-hmm. bit more of the politics while running it as well. Like when they went to the coffin maker's shop in the, the bones of St. Andrew's uh, quest or whatever, um, they were not kind to the coffin maker, right? They, they like, they saw the coffin maker as completely complicit in, in 
putting the people of Velaki in danger, stealing these bones, uh, harboring undead, whatever. Uh, and so, like, one of them, like, just got mad at him and punched him in the face for a point of damage, right? Which, you know, he's a he's a, a, a four-hit point commoner, so he can't do much more than a point of damage. And then when they went upstairs to, to search around for the bones, not knowing there were vampires spawn up there yet... Um, they they're like well we need to make sure you don't like run off and cause trouble so they made they forced him to get in one of his own coffins and nailed him in there with the promise that we'll let him out you know we'll let you out on, on our way out or whatever just to make sure you don't run away and he's like this is yeah this is like horrible right so part of me's wondering like he on one hand he's afraid of the vampire spawn and and Vasily von Holt who who they work for or whatever uh-huh. right. Uh, on the other hand, like part of me wants to have him go to the burgomaster and report them, and then the burgomaster like invites them to have a conversation, uh, and and be like, hey, we need to have we need to talk because we need to make sure that everybody knows that all will be well, right? Because that's my thing, and and nailing people into coffins is is not okay. And if you can't get on board, you got to get out of town, right? And to sort of lay some of that groundwork and see how they respond. And if it's not entirely favorable, then perhaps uh, Fiona Vacher sort of reapproaches them uh, and says, you know, hey, I, I know you've had some negative interaction with the Burgermaster. Let me tell you about, you know, I'd, I'd like to, to help you deal with him. How about you do me a favor and, you know, maybe you go kill one of his agents like Isaac or maybe we can plan an assassination of the Burgermaster himself or whatever. And then that can play out during the, the festival, right? So um, that's sort of where my headspace is at now, but I haven't sort of laid it all out yet. So, Yeah, I mean, the whole town is supposed to be present, right, at the festival. So you can sort of have any combination of, of headbutting NPCs or opportunities for them. Um, and I think... You know, with all of that in mind, you know, maybe you don't need the saber tooth tiger thing. I mean, if you really want to throw a wrench into things, but if they end up, if they, and that actually, you know, I'm thinking about sort of what it would be like to run that festival without knowing that I have to deal with a saber tooth tiger running through the town in five minutes. Uh, that actually might be great, right? If the festival becomes about a, you know, like we said, showcasing just how messed up Velaki is, but also giving the players a chance to further something that they've already come up with, with either the Burgomaster or, or Fiona. Um, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, no. And, and, and actually I don't, Part of me is like if if it goes down the route of Fiona Vacher sort of tries to make a deal with them to assassinate the Burgermaster at the the festival, which she would totally be on board with, then it turns into oh, a yeah. clash between the Burgermaster and the guards and her cultists and the PCs are somewhere in the middle. And then a saber-toothed tiger runs through it in the middle of the fight. <laughs> like isn't, <laughs> isn't interested in any of them because none of them are Vistani, right? <laughs> but she's sort of – Right, right. So suddenly a saber-toothed tiger bounds through town, you know? <laughs> That could be fun. That would definitely that would definitely highlight the sort of alienness of the environment, right? Or right. The, of of the realm that you're in, right? Like just the what the hell, and <laughs> you know, and it's not really interested. It's just moving through, and everybody else kind of you know. Um, but Dan Dan Dillon came back with another comment. He said, "I kind of love the idea of having the whole town present for the festival, but it becomes clear very quickly that they're all there with plastered-on smiles, with the guards' weapons at their backs." Another fun connection being if you have a tiefling, an ASMR, or any other planar adjacent character, the Lady Wachter is an instant fun flashpoint. Yeah, and, and fun, so, fun point, yeah. I have two ASMR and a tiefling. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, so. yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a lot of buttons and pulleys that you can be playing with in this case, right? It's just more, it sounds like just from hearing this conversation, it's more of a, uh, it's more of a, a question of what you want to actually utilize from it, right? The trick is that so. I, I need to get myself properly planned out and in the right headspace. Otherwise, it, right. I'm gonna, it's going to start rolling tomorrow night and I'm not going to... I'm going to miss a beat and it's going to be problematic. Like I've my, my prep, um, let me pull it out here. My prep since going online has, has, uh, been this, right? I've got my inspiration opening question at the top and then it's just mm. sort of a checklist of don't yeah. forget to introduce these, these points. Right. Uh, so I'm right now, my prep for tomorrow looks like this and that's it. <laughs> right? it, it it's, it's the characters, it's the characters names and I don't have anything else down yet. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And I think, you know, that's uh, something that you'll just have to have the time to do. But but making sure that you know what you want out of it. Obviously, your players are going to change all of that, right? No no DM's plan survives contact with players. But, uh, but knowing what you intend to get out of it at least. Uh, because the other thing is, like, that festival with all of that going on has the potential to go south for the characters real quick if they if they upset the wrong person, right? Because uh, they may be higher level, but like I know y'all have talked about this before. Like action economy is king, and there are a lot of people in that town, and there are enough guards on the burgomaster's side, and and the vouchers are and her sort of people can be powerful enough in numbers that like if the party gets split up or they get cornered by a bunch of people, like it can go south real quick. <laughs> right. There was, um, <laughs> yes, yes. Steal your mind is pointing out. It's 27 minutes in now. <laughs> um, it, it's also like, there's other areas that I think there's, it, because the interactive Tome of Strahd brings in some of the more of the history of Barovia, there's a lot of other interesting, um, history to bring in like one of the characters they meet in chapter two of the tome that they haven't really met yet um in some versions of barovia was buried in the vacher's tomb uh turned into a vampire and buried there as a vampire you know and sealed in and and is theoretically still there having gone mad and whatever right uh and i'm like oh i kind of want to play with that (laughs) you know just so when they do meet the character in the past they're like oh crap like we know where that story's going you know um there's a lot of fun things you can do there uh that's but- the other thing that, that came to me was that like <laughs> the festival also at least in my experience is often sort of the denouement of the Velaki part of your story because uh, there's a non-zero chance that they're going to get run out of town or that you know they're going to grab onto a hook that's going to take them out of town so and i know like you know the story in the book and i i assume i don't know if this is how you've introduced it but like it's happening in three days but like (laughs) you want to for me you want to make sure that you have given them a chance to get all of the things or most of the things that they should get out of velaki because it may be a while before they come back if things go south well and i think what is likely to happen is Mm -hmm. the festival will happen and they'll still like go and pick up the wine shipment and come back and, you know, like, sure. But, but who knows? Maybe they'll drop off arena somewhere else. Cause clearly Velaki's not a safe place. Right. So, um, so a yeah, great we'll, way to get them to Kresk. Yeah. We'll see because the winery is actually not too far. It's actually, I think it's closer on the map to Kresk than it is to, to Velaki. So, 
Um, yeah. All right. I have, as it has been pointed out from uh, Steal Your Mind, uh, <laughs> I am like double my time here, um, which normally like we can all talk half an hour and have an hour long episode and I don't care, but bedtime's in 45 minutes. So. <laughs> and I'll... My wife will want to go to sleep and not have me come in and bother her after she's gone to bed. So, um, so I am officially ending my time. Um, and we did have a good five-minute chat at the beginning before we started. But uh, yeah. before we pass it on to Sam, though, I do want to mention to folks that for the month of June, and I don't know when Samuel here will, will get this edited and out, but for the month of June, uh, the Tome Show has a contest that is being sponsored by Skull Splitter Dice. Uh, and this, and, and actually, it's not just the month of June. We're going to have a contest from them every month for the next four months. Uh, and each one I'm going to run a, a little bit differently. They gave me the, the power to sort of run it the way I want, which is nice. But they're providing um, a, a big selection of, of dice and trays and cases and there's metal dice and plastic dice and bundles and like there's a lot of cool stuff in this in this bundle this time around people should totally check it out and if you want to check it out and enter this month you go to um twitter and you look for the tome show's twitter which is the tome show um and there is a tweet there with instructions you need to retweet it and and comment on, in your retweet and answer to the question that's there uh and and that's all you need to do to get entered into the contest so i want to thank skull splitter uh dice for for sponsoring us in this way they they approached me with this idea for for a sponsorship and i'm like well you know uh the i like the idea of a sponsorship that's that's primarily focused on giving stuff to our listeners uh so here we are uh go out and, and get those get those dice and thank you skull splitter dice uh which i think they uh, i shouldn't be wrong but i think their website is skullsplitterdice.com skullsplitterdice.com slash tome shell. There is a coupon code there. You can get 15% off. All right, Sam, you have a strict 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. A strict 15 minutes. Uh, it is your turn to talk, so let's hear about your game. Go. Okay, so I've got actually two games going right now. Uh, one I just had last night, so I'll talk about that first, and then I'll talk about uh, my, my streamed game. Um, so I play... I run a game with uh, a couple of youngsters. They are now they are uh, 14 and 16. That just happened this month, this past month. They were previously 13 and 15. So they are they are aging as we are all. Um, <laughs> but my point is they're relatively young. They're young kids, right? Um, and uh, so, but since the pandemic, we haven't met very often. Of course, once the pandemic occurred. Um, you know, our, I, I know them because I, their, their mom is my colleague at work. So we haven't been at work since March 14th or something like that. So I haven't been able to have uh, a actual in-person game with them since like March 22nd or something was the last, was the last time we had. But what I did was I, uh, I got, I opened up Fantasy Grounds and I retaught myself Fantasy Ground because I have a license from a long time ago and it's of course still active. Um, and uh, and I got them to go on and I and I spent some time last week. We met last Wednesday for the first time and uh, and I taught them how to use Fantasy Grounds basically from the character point of view. So I put their characters in. I put their PCs in there because of course we're in my homebrew world. So there's a couple of 
you know, special different. And I didn't want to have them to have to do that because they're actually not all that computer savvy. They uh, they're very active physically. So they're outside a lot and they read a lot, but their their parents limit their time on uh, on a device. So um, they've had a lot of learning curve, by the way, uh, because their school closed as well. So they went Zoom just like all everybody else, right? So they've had a humongous learning curve for the past two months to try to get them up to speed because they didn't really know a lot about computers beforehand. So it was uh, quite an interesting experience teaching them Fantasy Grounds last week. Um, but, but, you know, they're young and they're really interested in it and they love D&D. So, of course, they picked it up like that, right? I mean, it's like it's nothing. Uh, so, so what I did, though, was in order to test out things. Now, the, the game that I'm running there, this is only the third session of that game because we ended the last campaign. So this is only the third session of that game. And they're doing a sort of um, artifact hunting group so that their job is to go find these artifacts. And of course, I'm putting story into it because in the last place they were at, they found a weird they found a, an amulet with a weird symbol on it. So now of course they want to know what that is. So so that's where this the story is, is. These are is, the same kids you previously ran uh Mike's Grindle Root campaign with, right? Yes, that so is, is this, correct. Is this yes. the same world then or are they cuz you talked about running them in the same world at one point. Yeah, same world, same okay. world, different location, different time. So this way, uh, eventually they're going to run across statues of their previous characters, right? Because their previous characters saved that whole that whole mountain community, right? So so that's what so that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, but they're not there right now. But so basically, they they did a, a little bit of a dungeon crawl. But um, it's really interesting because it in person. They're very, um, they're very like, oh, I do this, right? Like, I, I'm going to walk over there. I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to go do that. But when the when we're playing on the computer with Fantasy Grounds, they have a map, and and they've got tokens, but they're arguing with each other. No, 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 don't go there. Oh, no, we need to go over there. Oh, no, we shouldn't do that. We should do this because they sort of, they're sitting there next to each other, but I'm not in the same room. <laughs> so so they don't have like a, um, uh, the, the dynamic is, is very different. It's, it's, uh, it's really funny actually. Um, but what, <laughs> what happened though is they, I told them after the last session, okay, you need to learn how to work together. You don't want to sit and argue between every room because you're just going to attract monsters, right? You're in a dungeon it, the same, for the same reason that you can't sleep. in the, You can't just decide, oh, we're going to camp right here, right? This isn't a video game. You don't just camp right where you are. And you also can't stand here and argue while you're standing at the door. You know, all these creatures are going to hear you. So what happened was in between last week and this week, they actually, I think, paid attention to my advice a little bit. So they had some really good tactics this week, except when I put them in a small circular room with a well in the middle of it. And it had a passageway off of one end and a passageway off the other end. And they all they needed to do was go through the room. But they decided they wanted to see if there was anything in that well. So they took a 10-foot pole and they poked down the well and they angered the water weird that was in the well. <laughs> but they still... Now, these are third-level characters, and there's four of them, okay? It's two PCs, and then they kind of have two helpers that are kind of 
they're full they're basically full characters but really it's just like one of them's a cleric so that they have some healing and and one of them is a is a a, a ranger so that they have some some ranged attacks um but instead of like realizing oh this thing's really tough they all just ran up to the well and tried to <laughs> tried to beat the thing down so yeah exactly so other than that so you know what's funny about that is they that thing can pull them in and pull, you know, so here's the thing. It's a CR three character, a three CR three creature, a CR three creature for four third level PCs should not be that difficult. But when you're standing around a well and if it grabs onto you and you don't succeed in your attempt to escape, or you don't think about escaping because you think you're just going to kill the thing, right? It pulls you underwater, and now you're underwater, and all your attacks when you're submerged underwater are at disadvantage, and you're grappled, and the creature gets advantage on every attack against you. So suddenly, you're in deep doo-doo. But here's the funny thing about it. One of them got pulled under. The other one pulled him out with an amazing like natural 20 roll to try to yank him out. Right. So I said, oh, yeah, you completely pulled him out. You yanked him away. That was amazing. Then they stood there trying to fight it again instead of leaving. So another one got pulled under. (laughs) So it's one of those, um, you know, I remember moments like that when I was a young D&D player and just you get like, oh, I can't believe you did that. I'm just going to stay here and kill this thing. You know, when the better choice would have been, okay, just if you move 10 feet away from this well, it can't reach you and it can't leave the well. It's made of water. And I, it, it just, it brought, it's funny because on one hand I was like, you don't realize, because at the end they said, oh, I can't believe we had such problem with that creature. I, it's, it's probably only a CR4 creature. And I said, yeah, it's really only a CR3. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you had such a hard time. And I said, well, this is actually a good way to show you how the environment and the size of the room and the choices that you make in terms of how close you are to your enemy, how that all matters. And, you know, they, they did things like they forgot to, ha- to have the cleric cast bless. And they, you know, the, one of them's a fighter, and so he has superiority dice. And he didn't use, he didn't want to use those for some reason. He just, they just thought they could take that thing out real easy. And then when it became clear it was more difficult, he still chose not to use them until right at the very end. And it's, it's sort of one of those, it was like they entered that room and suddenly all their great tactics, they had just used two or three rooms, you know, for two or three rooms in a row before that, just went out the window. But I remember those days, right? I remember being 15 and doing the worst possible choice and not remembering things and getting all excited and just trying to beat down that thing that attacked me. And I can't believe that it, it, it hit me when my AC is so high, you know, um, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's really fun to play with younger players that don't really have a lot of experience, but who really enjoy it because it, it reminds me of when I first started playing. So other than all the other great things that come out of playing with young players, like that's one of them that it reminded me of specifically yesterday. Now, now you talked, you talked, you told them like what they could have done differently in that encounter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And during the encounter, I even pointed things out to them. So I, you know, like I said, uh, you know, here grappled. So on your turn, you can attempt to escape. You can use your action to escape. Right. And they 
chose not to. Right? Well, and and, so, and I always I always find that that's, and I think I I agree. Like I'm in that headspace where I remember those days where you'd make those horrible things. But at the same time, like they'll tell that story for for twenty years. You know. Right. Uh, of right. that, of that oh, yeah. fight. Don't remember that. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, like now I find that I'm playing with more mature, experienced players and I'm older and more experienced as well. I still sometimes default to, oh man, that was such a cool fight. Let me tell you where you messed up. And that totally breaks the immersion and, and is such a yeah. bad, like it's such a bad habit. I'm trying to break myself yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so oh, see, I don't do that. I don't do that to my adult players. Right. Like my in my other game, I don't do that. And I don't, you know. So for me, it's like I don't, I don't tell them what they missed. Right. Like that's that's one of the things. Um, even even with the kids, if they fail to find some kind of secret door or some kind of treasure, I don't tell them. Oh, you missed this. You had the opportunity to get this, 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 this. No, that's not worth it because that just makes them feel like okay, now we're going to have to slow the game down and go like a teeny tiny crawl speed to make sure we hit everything because we feel bad that we didn't catch everything. Or, so if, or I already, if you're pointing I out... know that they do yeah. that. Or if you're pointing yeah. out bad tactics, now, then it just it encourages sort of mid-maxing yeah. and, and yeah, yeah. focusing on that rather than the role-playing. No, yeah, yeah. no, no, it's an, you're absolutely right. And, I, and I'm definitely better at it than I used to be, but I still, every now and then, it's like, oh, man... This thing was really cool, and it didn't take place, and I kind of want to talk about it, you know. So I still uh, make the mistake yeah. of breaking uh, that decision, you know. The the boys are also they're very interested in how do they do it better, like that, like not in terms of min max. They don't mean it that way. They mean, um, what was I supposed to know about that? Like, is there a way I could have done something different? And and then I'm honest with them. I'll tell them, you know, like uh, one time uh, they were in a room. Consequently, it happened to also have a well, although this was a dry well. And one of them went and he stuck his head. He like leaned way over the well to see if he could see down to the bottom. There's a spider in there, sir. Yeah. And so but the thing was, there were also spider webs on the ceiling, but they didn't look around before he walked up and stuck his head. I mean, like a DC five, you know, like if he had said, I look up, I would have just said, don't even roll. You see spider webs. Like, you don't even need to roll perception. You see them. And then they would have been like, oh, okay, we're on guard. We know there's probably a spider in here. But instead, he just went and, you know, stuck his head in a in, – right. So that sort of thing, when they when they do something like that at the end of it, if they say, oh, you know, how could that have been better or whatever, I just tell them right out, well, you know, if you were adventurers in this world, right, I don't tell them, oh, you're stupid kids. You don't know how to play. I, it's not that at all. I, I tell them if you were in if you were adventurers in the world, okay – when you were going into that room, you would be looking at everything because it's very dangerous for you. So you're going to be hyper vigilant about look at the floor, look at the ceiling, look at the walls. Yeah, right? and, well, and, in there? And, yeah, yeah. and I think it's it's extra um, it's extra sort of okay or good to to do that kind of stuff with them because they're younger yeah. and they're learning the game. Like when I ran my my middle school uh, after school group, like I. I never even thought about it. Like, of course I would talk about them with that, uh, that kind of right. stuff, right? And right. help them pick up uh, things and learn the game a little bit more. And if they had questions, yep. hey, you know, I didn't do this or I did this. Is the, you know, what would have happened if I'd done that? You know, then I would talk it through with them because they're figuring it out, right. right? But that's a different goal than yep. a regular uh, game with oh, yeah. with an adult group yeah. and whatever. So, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a way different goal. And, 
And so, and so now, now we can actually talk about my other group, my, my, my quote, adult group, as you're calling it. Um, so that's my D and D brief group. And we run, uh, every other Sunday. So we didn't have a game this past Sunday, but we had a game this Sunday before. And they have finally, after almost, after, after almost 12, 12 full months, they have finally made it to Calport, which is the main city that they were trying to go to. Um, I just listened. Very beginning. I just listened to like three episodes today, and yeah. they're just now negotiating possible terms for the duel with Sharkface. So. Yeah. So another episode just released okay. yesterday. Although we we didn't announce it because of all the stuff going on, but right. another episode released, and it's a big battle. Um. So if you listen to that podcast. At the beginning, I tell you, look, this is this is an hour and a half of combat. So if you want to skip the combat, just go to an hour and a half in. And then there's another 20 minutes of game, and then there's a, deb- a debrief at the end of that episode. But um, but it's a re- it's the, a really huge, enormous combat. And I, I think I talked about it last time, yeah. but basically it's on, a, it's on a ship, and it has these storm wyverns. And it's a really huge, fun combat. It was really fun to run, and I think the players had a lot of fun. Um, and then after that, they end up deciding to, to actually make their way to Calport. So they make their way to Calport and they finally get to Calport and they, they did some things on the, on the way to Calport and they learned some information and they get to Calport and they find that the ship that came from their original town, Trastenfind, it all, it got over that Island got overrun with goblins. They had learned this a few sessions ago. Uh, and that ship was trying to get to Calport. So that ship got to Calport, but they had a sick person with them. And now this, this is a person who they met in like the second session. Right. So I didn't model this on the current pandemic in the world. Um, this, ha- this was a part of the game before the, the whole pandemic thing happened. Um, but that sick person, Lucanius, who was, he, he was turning into a crab man, um, they took him to the church, to, to the temple of Nadinui in on their island, Trastenfin. But then that island got overrun while they were away doing other stuff. So they learned from uh, a message spell. Imran used a message spell to talk to her father and learned that everybody from that town and from that island is on some ships going to Calport because their entire island got overrun. So when they got to Calport... Calport said, you have sick people, you have to go over here to this quarantine area because we don't want you to get our people sick. Meanwhile, Imran thinks she has discovered a way to maybe resolve. So here's what happened. And Jeff, you haven't heard this yet in the episode because it has not been released yet. It's going to be in the next one that gets released in podcast form. But if but here's what happened. They figured out that, uh, so they, they got, after the battle, on the ship, they they had made friends with Sharkface, okay? And he said, I want you to come see my crew. And they go down there, and all of this crew is all sick, and they're sort of half-transformed. And he explains why and what kind of deal was made and all this kind of stuff. Um, or he explains how it happened, not why. He doesn't really know why. But um, they try to turn – they figure out a way to try to turn – with some combination of spells and and some different abilities, they turn some of these blue goblins, they try to make them healthy. And two of these blue goblins transform into halflings. And they're halflings from a different time period. And then they transform a couple more and it's a couple of humans 
from a different time period. And they figure out the big reveal from, from that episode, which now Jeff, I'm spoiling for you <laughs> is that um, it turns out something's going on. So when, when someone dies, their soul travels and it it's, gets judged and it gets, it gets not judged, but measured. That's the term by the Raven queen. And until it gets measured by the Raven Queen, it it rests in the in the place called the Soul Spire, and the Soul Spire. It turns out one of the ways that the main villain of this of this game is affecting the world. Part of what he's doing is he's stealing. Now this is kind of a spoiler because my players aren't sure. So if you're a player of mine, stop listening uh, right now. <laughs> uh, He's he's found a way to siphon souls out of the threefold lake, which is what the soul spire. So the soul spire holds the souls. It empties into a place called the threefold lake, which is a planar location. And then the um, the pla- and in the threefold lake, then there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. In fact, uh, the um, Konos, the sea elf, he's a warlock. He just learned that his patron, his patron lives in the threefold lake okay so that's this this all this planar stuff going on it has to do with the raven queen it has to do with all these different patrons but if you can siphon off those souls you can then maybe use them for your evil deeds and that's in fact what the main villain in this game has been doing siphoned off these souls but then had them reborn as these weird blue goblins and everyone who's been listening to the show knows that these blue goblins actually grow and incubate in these egg sacs and then they're born. Right. But there's the soul that is being used to drive that life force is stolen from a person or uh, some kind of living being that already died and was waiting for their soul to be at rest. So when they, so, so when, when she fixes them and they come back as their former selves, are they more or less being raised from the dead or like, are they revenants or like, well, so no, what happens normally is your soul, while it's waiting to be measured, is is in the soul spire. The soul spire empties into the threefold lake, and your soul can go flow down the river out of the threefold lake over to where the Raven Queen lives, the Palace of Fate, okay? And then she'll judge you or measure you, and then you get to go to your final resting place, whether that's on one plane or another, right? You don't get reincarnated and get brought back. If you if you were especially good or especially bad, she could choose to hold you in what amounts to a purgatory, right? So that you can be raised as a revenant when the time is right and you can perform a task and you can either earn goodness enough to be measured well or you can still do bad things and be measured badly again. In fact, that's what they find out about Axley or about Blacksley, Blacksley's counterpart. Blacksley is a revenant, right? And so they're, they find, they learned that, but they don't know anything about his task or how that happened, right. um, which I won't spoil that part for you because there's a lot more to that. Well, that, you, that you, gonna... you hinted at him being a revenant pretty heavily in, this, in one of the sessions yeah, I yeah. just listened to. So. Right, right. They find out for sure, and then they learn what his previous identity was when he was a mortal. So I'll nice. leave that spoiler as well. Okay. Um, so, so that's what's happening. So basically all these blue goblins that they've been slaughtering because they've been being born and taking over everything and, and wreaking havoc, those actually contain the souls of people who were normal mortals, probably good people, that were just waiting for their soul to be measured while it was in the soul spire. Now the soul spire is being robbed by the main villain, right? 
so that's what's happening, and that's what they find out. And then they get to Calport, and they when they get uh, when they get into Calport, they are immediately told. So the the other ship went first. Shark faces ship, which also had sick people, so they got quarantined. They immediately get told, okay, here's the rules of the town, and it's got all these rules, and. We know that you have a royal member of the royal family aboard, so we're taking you right now. You're going to come in. We're going to accompany you to the palace because we want the queens of Calport want to give you a formal, appropriate welcome for a royal. Because the Lutrinian, the otter folk that's in my party, at, learned that they were of royal descent. Um, and so that's that's what happened. So they go to they go to the palace and they get sort of a royal welcome. Um, and then they ha- they parlay and they have all of this. And they learned that one of the queens, her name is Delencia, Queen of Souls. Right? Well, I take that back. Her name is Delencia, but the party knows that name because when their dwarven friend told him of the history of King Ian Tarsus, the reason King Ian Tarsus has a history that everyone in the dwarven clans knows is that he stole Delencia's children and whatever he got for that helped him destroy the tiefling race because there's no tieflings in this setting. And the reason there's no tieflings is that the dragonborn and the dwarves destroyed the tiefling race. And the way that part of the way they did that was King Ian Tarsus took the children from Delencia, whoever Delencia is. But now they get to this town thousands of years later. And the queen's name is Delencia. So they're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Just like always. That's kind of how they end every session. Like, what the hell, Sam? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, you've got a, a depth of lore and history in your head of, of this setting and this world that uh, is dizzying uh, sometimes. <laughs> Well, and so, and I've said this before, and, and I, in fact, part of the debrief from the last episode, I asked them, like, is it too much? Because I, you know, mm-hmm. my uh, my sort of policy or motto or or I guess theory, I don't know, uh, is I need to give them as much information as possible because you know it's that sort of thing. If you think you're being subtle, if you're a DM and you think you're being subtle, you're not giving the players enough for them to learn anything, right? You're being too subtle because what's kind of subtle to you, since you already know everything, the players aren't going to catch it. They're just they just won't because they're they're different people. They don't have everything in their head already. So I give them probably too many clues and too many things to follow up on because that way I can present them with a lot of different ways to learn the information. And so sometimes it feels a little bit about like a little bit like overload, but my players, they basically said, no, we like it. We love the lore. We want to learn more about it. It's not overload. We just have to take a bazillion notes. (laughs) So yeah. Well, and you have a few, uh, you know, exposition machines in your in your uh, campaign as well. Like uh, Tadius basically got an entire yeah. session to just give exposition and answer questions for a right. session. Right. So, um, right. Yeah. No. And the thing is, like, I do have a lot of exposition machines, but they're all unreliable narrators, right? right. Like Bolum, you're going to find out there's a spoiler about Bolum that's going to come up too, and I don't know, I don't know if it's been in the, any of the released, but. He can't go to he can't go to certain planes, and he's so in my setting, artifacts are timeless, so time is not on a linear track for them. Mm. So um, they they are they have parts of souls in them. That's what makes them alive or sentient, and 
they're they're timeless though. So sometimes Bolam, the 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 sentient trident that Konos has, it doesn't realize what time period it's in. It thinks it's in a different time period. So it gives him information, and it's totally wrong because he's in the wrong time. So all of the ways to ex to give them exposition are all unreliable, and the party has figured that out. So it's okay, right? Because they don't. They're like, well that okay but then maybe that's wrong like so this person said that but uh you know that we're not sure that that's actually true for various reasons a b c d e so yeah all right well if my count is correct you have now exceeded my time uh so <laughs> so uh, uh no about, about, about 10 minutes ago steal your mind said you had five minutes left to match my time so uh, <laughs> uh so but, that that being that said oh Henio, thanks for coming on there's no time for ago. you <laughs> yeah no it's been a real pleasure um <laughs> No, it's fine. I only have five and a half seasons of a campaign to, no, perfect. Uh, to yeah. go through. We'll be done in no time. Oh. <laughs> Steal Your Mind says that wasn't to match my time, so never mind. I know your 15 minutes uh, went, off, okay. went off a long time ago. but <laughs> And I know we're at an hour and seven minutes of recording. Uh, you know, so. Hey, look, look. Eugenio is worth it, okay? Oh, he's, he, he's absolutely worth it. We will stick around for him. Uh, before, before we oh. hear from Eugenio, though, uh, I want to let people know of other ways they can support the show you can go shopping at amazon like a million people are these days uh or D at dm's guild for things like the interactive thomas straw that ohenio and i are both using um yeah uh and if you go to those places through the links at the uh we you get the exact same experience the exact same prices etc but we get a small percentage of that and i i share that out with our our contributors and what have you or if you want to support us directly you can go to patreon.com slash tome show that sounds right the tome show i don't know I'm what my patreon is now i don't know <laughs> yeah well there we are um but you can become a patron at patreon and support the show directly um and that's always uh, a nice thing to do and i also always go to to there every now you know once a once or twice a month i pop on there and i'm like hey don't forget about this thing or i'm thinking about this what do you you know give me your feedback and and it helps guide uh the show that way as well so uh so there's that um oh Hineo. Yeah. You got 15 minutes on the clock. You better not go over. Classics <laughs> never, no. never. Yeah, so, um, so, so tell us about five seasons of The Last Refuge. I, I have finished season one. I'm way behind. I finished season one. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so I can use, like, character names and you'll know who I'm talking yes, about for yes. the most part. Okay, okay. No, uh, yeah, I, I for sure, if you want uh, the full works of what goes on, just listen to the show. Um so lately what we've been doing uh, with with The Last Refuge, real quick overview of, of sort of the whole idea of the story. The four characters who are three Azimar and a tiefling uh, woke up in the very first session uh, somewhere they didn't recognize. No memory of why they were there, how they got there, what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, seasons and seasons later, they have figured out that they're on this sort of uh, old forgotten world uh, that has no gods. And and they were sent by a god from the Forgotten Realms. They were sent by Denir uh, to essentially sort of establish uh, holy sites or anchor points for Denir uh, so that he could come to this world. He sort of is taking umbrage with, with uh, everything that happened in the Forgotten Realms in the Second Sundering and how he's not allowed to directly influence mortals as much as as the gods used to be and so he wants to have the players establish a way for him to come to this other world and become 
a god of this sort of of so barren said, world. So he said, "Fine, Ao won't let me play in that sandbox. I'll come over here and make my own sandbox." <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, this is riddled with spoilers, by the way. If anyone is listening to the show, like enjoy. Uh, so they figured that out. Uh, that that that's how they got here, and that's why they were here, and. Uh, you know, went along their merry way, continuing their quest for Denier. But of course, things are never as simple as we would like them to be. And it turns out that there are several things that are gonna are gonna make problems for them in in making this a, a happy place for Denier. One of them is that uh, it appears that there is a a rather powerful pit fiend who is sort of working at cross purposes to Denier uh, and has sent his own team uh, of three tiefling and a Nazimar uh, <laughs> to sort of work at cross purposes. So that's one thing. And then more recently uh, they have discovered that these sort of, uh, they were originally told, the players were originally told that they were temples, uh, these ancient temples that are sort of nodes of incredible magical power that are basically, have basically been lying dormant for centuries. Uh, and they were supposed to consecrate each of those to Denier, and that would give him an anchor point in this world. What they have relatively recently discovered is that the reason that this world is barren is because these magical nodes would cause this sort of world destroying beast. And that's all they know about it at this point to awaken once every millennia or millennium or so, and just wipe out civilization and, and humanity and civilization would have to, to start again every thousand years or so. And so if they're going to go around activating and consecrating these nodes to Denier, that's going to reactivate them uh, and and hasten the return of the beast. Uh, so, you know, we've had some very exciting, thrilling moments uh, that were super fun to adjudicate as a DM, where, mm -hmm. like, at one point, the one character, the tiefling, who happens to be the cleric of Denier, was the cleric of Denier, decided uh, in the moment that they were there at their first node, and they were finally going to consecrate it to Denier, and he was like, actually, I don't think this is a good idea, uh, and didn't do it, and so he lost all his cleric, like, Denier was like, okay, cool, bye. Uh, so he's not a cleric anymore, so that was, like, a whole thing. Uh, so their mission now, all of that is to say that their mission now, uh, they have decided, is not, in fact, to uh, to consecrate these magical nodes to allow Denier to come to this world, but, in fact, to protect the world uh, from uh, both the beast ever coming back and by extension, the tieflings uh, and the one Azamar, who are uh, trying to consecrate these these nodes in the name of their their pit fiend father. So that's. So wait, can I can I interrupt you for a second? Please, yeah, oh, please. So when that when that PC couldn't could no longer be a cleric of Denier, what did they do? So we spent uh, a few episodes. Uh, that spanned, uh, you know, a chunk of time, I can't, uh, six or nine months or something, ultimately, in-game time, where they uh, retrained. And uh, to get to the end of the story, the first, they are now a uh, Bard Ranger multi-class. Okay. Uh, but we spent some really cool episodes where, like, uh, the player learned... Uh, tracking from the monk in the party who has the outlander background and learned archery from the rogue who is mostly a ranged fighter. And we really tried to like weave the story in about how they were retraining because we didn't want that. I don't, in any weather, not other people are listening to this campaign. I, that sort of thing feels like a big story beat, right? right. And I didn't want to sure. cheat the players out of the chance to, to dive into it. And I also didn't want it to be like 
a non-issue of like, oh, you're not a cleric anymore, so take some levels in ranger. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, oh, you're you, just sudden, suddenly you're a fighter. Yeah, and, right, exactly. And, yeah. and you were doing stuff like that even back in season one. Like you do the the sort of like time goes by. Let's do a montage sort of of what happens and, and sort of thing. You do that pretty well. So uh, I uh, yeah, I we've been doing you... it for a while. I have. I have fallen out of forcing them to do it every time they level up, uh, okay. which I wanted to do back at the beginning. And uh-huh. I still I still kind of do it. I do have them explain, you know, what does a level up mean to you? What how what did you do to gain these new powers? Um, and that's been that's been super fun for them, too, I think, because it, it has. Well, one, it helps them solidify in their brains what their new abilities are at each level, which has been great. Uh, but also it's it's fun for them to just sort of play and figure out like what these game mechanics mean to them in terms of the story of the world. Um, so, uh, they've decided this, they've gone around and they have, you know, they've encountered their tiefling counterparts and they've clashed and they've done all of these things. Um, what they have, what, where we are now is that they have, <laughs> let's complicate things more. So the surface is mostly a uh, non-human adjacent humanoid species, right? On their little starter island, because I'm a video gamer too, and that seemed like a good way to get into things. Uh, so on their little starter island, it's populated by, uh, with kobolds, orcs, and yuan-ti, right? And another island is populated with goblins, gnolls, and something else that they haven't encountered yet. <laughs> Don't remember what it is. Uh... <laughs> Um, and so it's always sort of been a question, where are the humans? Where are the elves? Did they ever exist in this world? Did they not? They found evidence of them. They have found out that humanity, uh, not meaning just humans, but humans and human adjacent races, uh, about a thousand years ago, the last time the beast came, uh, some particularly powerful mages had secretly created a contingency plan for humanity and they've all escaped underground and a large part of civilization has been living underneath the surface for a thousand years. Um, and as part of going down there, these mages that sort of set up this underground society made sure to ingrain in the people down there that the surface is danger. Isolation, hiding down here is how we stay safe. The beast only ravages the surface. We've never had any evidence of the beast. Maybe it might come from underground somewhere, but it doesn't It doesn't burrow down and destroy underneath the surface. How, how well do you know the Forgotten Realms as a setting? Uh, well, if you're about to say that this is like something in the Forgotten Realms, then not as well as I thought. Okay. <laughs> well, no, well, you know how everything in 5th edition is over on the Sword Coast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the very opposite end of the Forgotten Realms, uh, there uh-huh. is a location called Deep Emiskar, where a bunch of uh, wizard civilization did very similar. They went underground, they uh. sealed themselves in a magical vault, and then it was just during the fourth edition era that they had finally opened that vault for the first time in like a hundred or whatever years. Uh, and so they were starting to come into con- but it was like this this push and pull within their own civilization of like, but should we be going out or should we be sort of cloistering and protecting ourselves? So you might look there for inspiration was my only thought if you if you were looking to flesh I, some things out. I definitely will, um, because that is actually exactly what's happened. So with everything that's been going on at the surface, there is a there's a sort of rebel group underground that has been uh, very secretly helping the party in small ways, either giving them information or giving them resources or, or whatever. Um, and the tieflings found out about this 
And so by extension, the tieflings found out about the underground society. And so the tieflings are currently ensconced on a different island, and they raided the the underground civilization on that island. Uh, and it was real bad. They spent a lot of time summoning in demons, or devils rather, sorry, to this world, and they just sent this huge horde of them. The beginning of season six, which is where we are now, was basically started with uh, the party going to the northern island and helping with an evacuation. Uh, so it was rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds of combat of them just holding off devil hordes while civilians escaped uh, through a portal to to the their other their home island essentially. Um, so the cat's out of the bag, right? Uh, there are people in the world below who are meddling with the surface. There are surface dwellers that are underground, which is hasn't happened in a thousand years, right? For all intents and purposes. And uh, society is just sort of freaking out. So the Enclave, which is what we call the, the group of rebels that have been helping them, have all been arrested. The characters have been served a writ of banishment. Um, but because this society is A, super isolationist, and B, super communal, uh, everything that they do sort of has to come from a decision of the majority of everyone. So we have this period of time before there is a sort of trial for the Enclave and for the characters, uh, where the characters just sort of have some time to do as they will in this city. Because quite frankly, you know, the Enclave, or rather the, um, the officials of the city, they don't think they're a direct threat. They don't think that the players are going to go out and murder civilians on the streets, right? And if the PCs decide to flee and run away from their trial, well, cool, then we don't have to worry about the writ of banishment. They're gone, right? So they've sort of been given the run of the city for a little while until this trial goes on. And what we've done uh, for the last couple of months is... Uh, they were essentially given the advice from one of the Enclave leaders that they should maybe go out and just try and, like, show the people of this city that they are not as scary as they have been led to believe, that maybe isolationism is not the protection that they have been led to believe for a thousand years, that maybe they, you know, the people of the world below don't have to go up to the surface and fight, but maybe it's okay if some people want to, uh... And so that's what they're doing. And the last couple of months, essentially the party decided that they wanted to split up to cover as much ground as possible, every DM's dream. Uh, but actually what it's done is it's given us this super cool opportunity for me to have one-on-one -on -one episodes with each of the players and we've brought in a guest to represent sort of a group of people uh, here in the city that they run into and talk to and try and convince to sort of bring them over to their side for the for the upcoming trial. Uh, and it's been really cool. And I, I don't, I mean, it would definitely, it's definitely something you could do in a, in a home game around the table. Uh, but it's been super fun because we did this, it all happened to coincide scheduling wise with sort of the beginning of stay at home orders. And so I was like, well, I've got all the time in the world. So <laughs> let me bring all these guests in and let me, you know, schedule all of these recording sessions with, with each of the players individually. And, and it's been a, it's been a ton of fun. We had one player, uh, we had Bria meet a school teacher that was played by TK Johnson from tales from the mists. And that was a hilarious sort of butting of heads because this school teacher was very much indoctrinated into the isolation theme and, and it was fascinating to watch Taryn who plays Bria just like go up against someone who is the exact opposite of her and figure out how to role play this this conversation without offending the NPC but get them on their side uh, Bizdira who is our monk 
uh, went off and ended up saving some miners who were mining a stalactite and who were, you know, their their scaffolding had broken and fallen and she saved them from certain death and, and managed to, you know, talk to them about outside help and how it is necessary and who am I forgetting? Kit? Oh, Kit met... Uh, Kid is our druid, and so she went out and found the farms, farms, air quotes, farms, uh, and met an, an artificer who invented a way to mimic sunlight, even though this person didn't really know what sunlight was. They just knew that it made their plants grow better when the light sort of did this thing across the cavern. And so that was sort of a fun little one-on-one -on -one thing where they learned about each other's sort of connection to nature and all of that. And then today I just recorded uh, Flick, who is our, our tiefling bard ranger, uh, ran into this uh, this person who is who basically is just like, well, the world's ending, so nothing matters. Just the ultimate nihilist. Uh, and, and got to try and convince them that like, you know, we can help you. The world doesn't have to be ending, but you have to let us. Uh, so that's, that's sort of where we are now. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. There has been no combat in any of these episodes. Uh, and my players like their combat, but we've done none of it. We've had a few instances where they've run up against things that were dangerous, but I told the guests, there's no need for you to have full-blown character sheets and combat abilities. We won't be doing combat. And so I forced them to sort of figure out ways out of combat without, you know, rolling initiative and rolling to attack and all of this stuff, which has been really good for all of us, I think. Uh, it was also a great exercise for me in like finding, which I have not done here, but finding a way to concisely explain the world and the circumstances to the guests that are coming in. You've been more concise than either what Sam or I at this point. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> fair, fair, fair. And I, you know, I have like a little, a little one sheet on Google Docs that I send them that, that, you know, we've sort of, my, my story consultant and I have sort of honed down and, but it's been, it's been such a change in the way that we approach our campaign for the last couple months and it's been it's been really fun yeah so so is the next thing then the trial where you bring in these different factions and they speak on their behalf or whatever or is there anything in between or what do you what are you thinking so the original plan was to have each of them do one set of these episodes and each of them has essentially two episodes with their guest and then to do a couple of episodes of like bringing the group back together updating each other on how things went and then going out and do another set what we have discovered is, in retrospect, incredibly obvious, uh, which is that D&D is a game about social interaction to hang out with your group of friends and doing things together and teamwork. And while this has been super fun, I think we as the players and also our listeners uh, miss the group dynamic quite a bit. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to have our reunion episodes. We're going to do a very shortened version because I already have Kit's second set of episodes recorded with Celeste Conowich. So I don't want to shortchange that and not put it out there. So Kit's going to get an episode. Bria and Bizdira cannot be trusted to go out on their own. So Bria, Bizdira, and Flick are going to go together for their last uh, Goodwill tour. So we'll, we'll cut the amount of time it was going to take in half. And then we're going to do the trial, which is sort of the big question mark for me, which is, you know... Uh, my story consultant is a lawyer and has very strong opinions about how the trial <laughs> and and I love him very much. But God, those will be some of the most boring hours of D and D <laughs> if we do it that way. Pardon? I'll, I'll do respect to him because he's wonderful. But so, I, and I don't know if you've you've thought of this, but part of me is listening to the you know you've had him individually sort of go out woo different factions to to sort of come back and and help them with the trial. I wonder if. 
there isn't an opportunity after they come back together, they have the reunion, whatever, have yet another faction make an appearance. But this one is coming to them offering to help because they want something. Like there's something where the players could provide, uh, you know, a, a, a ba- you know, shifting the balance of power in their favor uh, through the course of this. Like, hey, you know, here's some secret information about the judge. You know, you could totally uh, uh, burn them down and then we get to fill the power vacuum or whatever. You know, something like that that might be kind of interesting. And it's a twist or, on what you've been doing for a month, you know? So, so yeah. yeah. Or, or the, the information that they have is from an ancient um an ancient uh an ancient account of the previous history of that group of people where they did live above and it had some of the real benefits of being above and lamented maybe it was written right after they all went underground and it's people lamenting certain things they lost that that you know then they they could help uh the party could use that information to help convince people we need to go, you know, we like we need to go. We were trying to help you see this is not a bad thing we're doing. This is neutral. We mm-hmm. could try to help you regain some things that your culture lost when you made this shift eons ago or however long ago it was in the setting, right? Like mm-hmm. that kind of information, which would to the people who have a vested interest in keeping the status quo, that would be very dangerous information. So maybe it's been hidden away. Maybe, maybe the people in power actually do know it, but they've been hiding it from people. And that's what the group that Jeff is talking about comes and tells the party, mm-hmm, yeah. right? That, Hey, I we like know where that. some information is right. That, and it's directly related to the people that they're interacting with. So, Nice. Yeah. One of the things that's that's great. And one of the things that I actually since I listened to, I guess it must have been whatever the last behind the DM screen that was released. And you all talked yeah. about uh, I think it was that anyway, it was some one some time tome show thing where you I think Sam were talking about exactly what you mentioned earlier about uh, uh, not being subtle as a DM, right. and I realize I have tried to be subtle in some ways, and it hasn't, I mean, <laughs> the proof is in right. the episodes, right? They have no idea what's going right. on about a couple of these things. Yeah. And one of the things that's actually the biggest mystery for them that I realize now is the time to start pulling the threads together is about the beast itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe in this cache of information about you know, what they've lost, there are also accounts of what it actually is. Right. Uh, and so that's the way that they can start because they're starting to believe that the dang thing doesn't even exist. Right. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> that it's that right. it's a that yeah. it's myth, that it's a you know, it was a tool by the ancient civilizations to sort of keep people in right. line. They have all kinds that's of theories. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which it's are all lovely, man. but yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so that's another thing that could be included in that cache. I like oh, this. So I have a couple other comments too. Like um, it's funny that you say you don't do any combat because that's one of the things. And and you know Jeff and I, Jeff has mentioned that you know a lot because I I started realizing you know my D and D brief group we've had maybe five combats in a year. Right. Oh, wow. the, year, the year of meeting every other week, roughly every other week, we've had maybe five combats. And so I refer to the stream as a sort of low combat D and D game, even yeah. though. There's nothing special about the players, right? It's 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 they didn't make the characters specially for no combat or whatever. We didn't know that was going to happen. It just it just is what it is, right? Um, and so I find it really interesting that 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 you mentioned that you also don't do combat. My second comment is, um, I, it's funny because 
for me, because my D and D brief game, we we don't we haven't met in real life. We actually were going to at a at a con later this year, but it got canceled because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But we haven't met in real life, so we only have the online experience with each other. And that actually has served us really well during the pandemic because for us, it's the same as it's always been in terms of what happens when we meet and we play. I feel like we would feel it a lot more if we were meeting in person previously and now we switch to online for the stream. That would be really, really hard, I think. Yeah, Yeah, I feel... We made that transition way back, like maybe six months into the podcast, because a couple of our cast members moved to the other side of the country, uh, and we wanted to keep playing. But it's it served us well, not just now, but you know, m- me and one of the other players, we are actors, and we do gigs all over the country, and so it's allowed us to keep playing together. But yeah, I can imagine that that transition, which I guess Jeff, you had to do, uh, yeah, in in the middle of you know mid stride would be would be tough, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Huh. Well, I hope you've got yeah. some good ideas there. Do you have any other other questions or things Dude. you want us to talk about? Okay. No, no, it was just, you know, the the only other thing is sort of how to do the trial, but I think if I think yeah. if we if I give them this opportunity to either work or not work, right, with this other group, then that makes the event of the trial have some stakes beyond just mm-hmm. like here are the witnesses here is the verdict like meh. right either they have this information and they use it or they don't and then this other group is upset with them and maybe they come in and do something during the trial right it gives it it gives it some adventure right to a, to yeah. a court proceeding yeah. <laughs> have you have you uh have you considered actually making the beast a boogeyman that doesn't exist like do you I, or are, do you know if you've done that? <laughs> I have thought about it. So I, the, yeah. what the beast is has changed twice since I started the show. Um, and, and there is nothing to say that it can't change again. Uh, and I kind of think I, I have learned to be much more flexible with my, uh, with my story and sort of meta arcs since I started doing this campaign with them. And so, uh, right now it is a possibility. I kind there are, for reasons, there are things that uh, will be decided based on uh, both how the trial goes and presuming it goes the way of the PCs, which based on these four guest episodes, I think it probably will, uh, what they do next. Because uh, they've got a couple of options, some of which will definitely tip the beast's hand sooner rather than later, in which case I'll probably go with what I've already got planned out. Uh, but if they give me some time and really hammer home the sort of boogeyman idea, it's I don't, I don't hate it. And there are ways that I've started to think about to to make that a possibility. Yeah. I call that strategy um, reactive DMing because I do the same thing. Cause um, like Jeff mentioned, I have a lot of lore in my head. That's true. But the good part of that is that I'm not, I don't have this lore in my head so that I can pour it out onto them. I have it in my head so that I can react appropriately right. to what they do. And depending on how they respond and how they move through the world and who they interact with and what they do and who they make friends with and who they make enemies with. That's what ends up determining, right? Like that, that's what ends up determining whether that thing is a boogeyman or a real thing, right? Like, so I call that reactive DMing. I really like that style because it feels, it ends up feeling for me more organic as the game goes on because that means the players and their PC choices actually have an effect on what's happening well and that's where our previous conversation always comes back to bite me because i always say too much about 
reacting oh. or changing things, and it, it ruins sure. the yeah, not yeah. not always, yeah, right. but on occasion, I have said too much. It's mm-hmm. like, oh well, like that was an interesting conversation I had with my group after the session, but it also kind of took, <laughs> you know yeah. took us out of the immersion of the moment. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that is how I try and run. And, and you know, the, the when I run games in the Forgotten Realms, there are part, you know, the Sword Coast and a few other specific places, Thay and some other places, I do have a lot of facility with. And so uh, I can do it that way. I, I always sort of feel bad giving that advice to other DMs because I recognize that, like, not everyone has the kind of brain that is going to store all of that setting lore in a very easy way. Like, it sounds like right. we have. Uh but man, does it, if you can do it, does it make it, A, exciting, and B, quite frankly, so much easier. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a style. It's not the style. It's not Absolutely. the best. It's just, that's just how I prefer things. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you, gentlemen. That's uh, yeah. That actually uh, solves a lot of, of questions that I had for how to get to the end of this season. So very helpful. Thank you both. Yeah. I don't know that we have a. I don't know we have a firm idea of how to run the trial, though. Uh, you know, my. Well, hold on. I I also want to. Oh. I want to get Dan Dillon's other comment on the air, which is uh, the other group wants their agent in the judge's position, either by having the group discredit them or by assassinating them during the trial and pinning it on the group. So you can <laughs> actually, instead of having them necessarily come to the group and say, here's what we can give you or here's what can you give us, have them be also sort of playing the party right. against the middle, right? So, yeah, yeah. interesting yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Credit where it's due, Dan guessed, yeah. Dan guessed it a long time ago and yeah. played one of the first mm, sort of members of the Enclave that the players met. Nice. Uh, sort nice. of. All right. Uh, I think at an hour and 35 minutes into this episode, it might be our longest behind the DM screen ever, but it's been a lot of fun. The chat room uh, has been really active and it's been fun uh, bouncing back and forth. Like uh, Sam and I are sitting here back and forth while you're chatting. Sometimes we're laughing at the things that you're saying and sometimes it has nothing uh-huh. to do with what you're saying because yeah. the chat room is, is mocking my my verbosity and, and what have you. So... <laughs> Um, in any case, well, we've set we've set a new record now, so Mike has a lot to live up to. The Mike, oh, well, no. d- don't set that challenge for him. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but also <laughs> I watched my yes. <laughs> um, speaking of the chat room and all that, uh, we are streaming our episode recordings uh, unedited, raw, uh, with with all of the warts on. Uh, if anybody wanted to watch them, uh, they are at Twitch.tv/tomeshow. Uh, you can follow us there, uh, and usually I tweet out about it. Uh, the Twitter is the Tome Show. Um, you know. A few hours before, and then as we go live, I always tweet out about it there too. So, um, so you can you can hang out there if you'd rather watch it later after the fact. Uh, also, completely raw and edited, the exact same video. It's available on YouTube. Uh, sometimes a, the next day, sometimes a week or two later. Right now, I'm actually a couple episodes behind. So every time I sit down to record, I, I send over the last recording that I did or the the whatever one is in line. Um, so, so it's there as well. And if you want to uh, have a conversation with us in a little bit more intimate way, like many of the people in our chat room have done, uh, we have a Discord channel that's been active for, what, a month or two now, Sam? 
Um, something like that. So something if you, like that, yeah. yeah, and if you want the link to the Discord channel because it, it rotates, it changes. Uh, you can either email thetomeshow@gmail.com or you can tweet uh, at the Tome Show, and, and I'll send out whatever the the latest uh, link is, um, and we will get that to you there. So I think. Um, we're going to have to call that the end of the episode. <laughs> um, Fair. My wife is almost certainly in bed at this point, and, and I got to hope that she's not asleep yet. <laughs> so, um, so, so I'm sorry, honey. I'm coming soon. <laughs> I'm on my way. Um, uh, all right. So that's the end of Behind the DM Screen for June of 2020. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. And thank you, Eugenio, for, for being on the episode. If people want to find you, you are at DM Jazzy Hands. Uh, and is it D&D Last Refuge? Uh, that's the Twitter. D&D Last Refuge. Is that that's also the Twitter and the Insta. And it's also our website, dndlastrefuge.com. There you go. Uh, so you can you can listen to uh the entirety of of that as well so it's mixed in with my i I am both i'm at the end of season one of last refuge and i am at the beginning of season season two of critical role and they're all in the same playlist so i'm sort of they're they're all filtering in and out together so our episodes are way shorter they are way shorter (laughs) that's true no that's how i caught up so quickly on yours that i'd get through you know i'd go for a run and get through three episodes and it was great yeah yeah. uh all right we try all right that's that's where we're gonna say goodbye so say goodbye guys bye guys bye guys